Chapter 5 of George Boring, A Tale of Cateridris. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Conover, Wyndham, Maine. George Boring, A, a Tale of Cateridris by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter 5. Now, as sure as ever, I lay beneath a third arch of Aberardir Bridge, in a blanket of Welsh serge or flannel with a double border. So surely did I see, and not dream, what I am about to tell you. The river ran from east to west, and the moon, being now the harvest moon, was not very high, but large and full, and just gliding over the crest of the hill that overhangs the quarry pit so that if I can put it plainly, the moon was across the river from me, and striking the turbulent water athwart, so that her face, or a glimmer thereof, must have been lying upon the river, if any smooth place had been left for it. But of this there was no chance, because the whole of the river was in a rush, according to its habit, and covered with bubbles and froth and furrows, even where it did not splash and spout and leap, as it loved to do. In the depth of the night, when even the roar of the water seemed drowsy and indolent, and the calm trees stooped with their heavy limbs, overchanging the darkness languidly, and only a few rays of the moon, like the fluttering of a silver bird, moved in and out of the meshwork, I leaned upon my elbow, and I saw the dead George Boring. He came from the pit of the river toward me, quietly, and without stride or step, gliding over the water like a mist, or the vapor of a calm white frost. And he stopped at the ripple where the shore began, and looked at me very peacefully. I felt neither fear nor doubt of him, any more than I do of this pen in my hand. "'George,' I said, "'I have been uneasy all the day about you, and I cannot sleep.' and I have no comfort. What has made you treat me so? He seemed to be anxious to explain, having always been so straightforward, but an unknown hand or the power of death held him so that he could only smile. And then it appeared to me as if he pointed to the water first and then to the sky with such an import that I understood, as plainly as if he had pronounced it, that his body lay under the one and his soul was soaring on high through the other, and being forbidden to speak, he spread his hands, as if entrusting me with all that had belonged to him, and then he smiled once more, and faded in the whiteness of the froth and foam. And then I knew I had been holding converse face to face with death, and icy fear shook me, and I strove in vain to hide my eyes from everything, when I awoke in the morning, there was a gray trunk of an alder tree, just George Boring's height and size, on the other side of the water, so that I could have no doubt that himself had been dinner. After a search of about three hours, we found the body of my dear friend in a deep black pool of the Adir, not the first hole below the place at which he sat down to his luncheon, but nearly a hundred yards further down where a bold cliff jutted out and bent the water scornfully. 
Our quarrymen would not search this pool until the sunlight fell on it, because it was a place of dread with a legend hovering over it. The giant's tombstone was the name of the crag that overhung it, and the story was that the giant Idris, when he grew worn out with age, chose this rock out of many others near the top of the mountain, and laid it under his arm and came down here to drink of the adir. He drank the adir dry because it, he was feverish and flushed with age, and he set down the crag in a hole he had scooped with the palms of his hands for more water. And then he lay down on his back, and Death, who never could reach to his knees when he stood, took advantage of his posture to drive home the javelin, and thus he lay dead, with the crag for his headstone, and the weight of his corpse sank a gray for itself in the channel of the river, and the toes of his boots are still to be seen after less than a mile of the valley. Under this headstone of Idris lay the body of George Boring, fair and comely, with the clothes all perfect, and even the light cap still on his head. And as we laid it upon the grass, reverently and carefully, the face, although it could smile no more, still appeared to wear a smile, as if the new world were its home, and death a mere trouble left far behind. Even the eyes were open, and their expression was not of fright or pain, but pleasant and bright, with a look of interest such as a man pays to his food. "'Stand back, all of you,' I said sternly. "'None shall examine him but myself. Now all of you note what I find here.' I searched all his pockets, one after another, and tears came to my eyes again as I counted not less than eleven of them, for I thought of the fuss we used to make with the Shrewsbury tailor about them. There was something in every pocket, but nothing of any importance at present except his purse and a letter from his wife, for which he had walked the Dogali and back at the last entire day of his life. It is a hopeless mystery, I exclaimed aloud, as the Welshman gazed with superstitious awe and doubt. He is dead, as if struck by lightning, but there was no storm in the valley. No, no, sure enough, no storm was there. But it is plain to see what had killed him. This was Evan Peters, the quarryman, and I glanced at him very suspiciously. Yes, sure, plain enough, said another, and then they all broke into Welsh with more gesticulation and eh-ha, eh-ha, hanul, hanul, were the sounds they made, at least to an ignorant English ear. "'What do you mean, you fools?' I asked, being vexed at their off-hand way of settling things so far beyond them. "'Can you pretend to say what it was?' "'Indeed, then, and indeed, my gentlemen, it is no use to talk no more. It was the Caroline Morgan.' "'Which is the nearest house?' I asked, for I saw that some of them were already girding up their loins to fly at the mere sound of that fearful name. For the cholera morbus had scared the whole country, and if one were to fly, all the rest would follow, as swiftly as mountain sheep go. "'Be quick to the nearest house, my friends, and we will send for the doctor.' This was a lucky hit, for these Cambrians never believed in anyone's death until he had taken the doctor, and so, with much courage and kindness, to give the poor gentleman the last chance, they made a rude litter, and bearing the body upon sturdy shoulders, 
took themselves to a track which I had overlooked entirely. Some people have all their wits about them as soon as they are called for, but with me it is mainly otherwise, and this I had shown in two things already, the first of which came to mind at the moment I pulled out my watch to see what the time was. Good heavens! It struck me. Where is George's watch? It was not in any of his pockets, and I did not feel it in his fob. In an instant I made them sit down the beer, and much as it grieved me to do such a thing, I carefully sought for my dear friend's watch. No watch, no seals, no ribbon was there. Go on, I said, and I fell behind them, having much to think about. In this condition I took little heed of the distance or of the ground itself, being even astonished when at last we stopped, as if we were bound to go on forever. End Chapter 5